Hey everyone, and welcome back to another Mandalorian Breakdown. Today we're going to be covering episode 4 of season 3, and this episode was short, but it had quite a bit in it, so let's get right to it. We start off the episode with the Children of the Watch engaging in a sort of Cobra Kai dojo type of sparring and target practice, where foundlings and apprentices fight against one another in training. Bo-Katan walks around as she observes everyone sparring in different ways, looking over to Grogu by the ocean bank, where we see some rock crab-like creatures that remind me slightly of the Dokma on Atalon, which were from Rebels. The little foundling who was welcomed into the Creed, as Paz Vizsla looked on a few episodes ago, is actually Paz Vizsla's son, and he goes up against Grogu in a practice paintball dart contest. Paz's foundling asks why Grogu doesn't wear a helmet, and we get our answer here, which is that he has to be able to speak the Creed before he can wear a helmet. So basically we're just waiting on Grogu to speak before donning his new armor, which will be pretty awesome to see. So the first two rounds are won by Paz Vizsla's foundling, and then on the third round, Mando tells Grogu to do what he knows, to show them his abilities. And so Grogu jumps around, implementing his training from Luke, and leaps over the foundling just like Yoda would against Dooku or Sidious. Grogu is here using his Jedi techniques and powers while using his Mandalorian weapons. He will be the second Mando Jedi in history after Tar Vizsla, who created the Darksaber. Bo-Katan asks him if Mando taught him that, and he says, not me. Of course, referring to Luke Skywalker, of course, who trained Grogu for two years, according to Jon Favreau. A massive dragon creature swoops down and grabs Paz's foundling, where the Mandos blast off after him until they run out of jet fuel in their packs. Bo-Katan follows the monster in her gauntlet starfighter, and she returns to the Mandalorians, telling them that she knows how to get to its lair. So they do just that. Bo-Katan mentions that the hive is no higher than the peak of Kirimurut. Now, this is a location in Star Wars EU, and it was a kind of fortress on Mandalore. It was a stronghold for Mandalorian warriors and their culture. It served as a base for Mandalorian protectors training and was the home of several notable Mandalorian characters, including Cal Skirata and his clan Skirata. Now, the mountain didn't have a traditional peak like most mountains do, and you can learn more about it in the Republic Commando novel, specifically the Order 66, a Republic Commando novel and Imperial Commando 501st. The armorer stays in the cave with Grogu and begins to make him a little scrap of chest armor. As she bangs on the armor to forge it, Grogu gets some major PTSD with Order 66 and remembers his time at the Jedi Temple. So here it is everyone, we're finally getting the scene that we've seen in the trailers and we've been speculating and theorizing on for months. The clones break through the door, and I gotta mention, you know, first when the trailers came out, many theories were about Anakin coming through those doors, or Palpatine, or Quinlan Vos to save Grogu, but it was actually none of them. Grogu is saved by the Jedi protecting him there, and it seems he's quite high profile that he's being protected, or perhaps, you know, he's just a youngling that they're protecting. But something tells me that he's much more important than just being a regular youngling. The Jedi all shout to get him to Kaleran. And so Grogu gets into the elevator where he goes up and we see Ahmed Best, who played Jar Jar Binks in the prequel trilogy, in his major glow up as Jedi Master Kelleran Beck, the same Kelleran Beck who was on the Jedi Temple run show. He wields two lightsabers, one blue, one green, like Anakin did against Dooku in Attack of the Clones, and just precisely decimates the clones who all are live action, unlike George's clone troopers who are all CGI. 
He gets on his speeder, Hagrid and Harry Potter style, as he saves Grogu, evades some LAAT gunships, and swerves around the same peak of the mountain, Umate, that we saw in the previous episode with Dr. Pershing. And we see this at the fair, and I didn't mention this in the last breakdown, but this is actually an original art piece from Ralph McQuarrie. Kaleran gets into a Nubian ship, the same model ship from episode 1 that Padme, Qui-Gon, and Obi-Wan were in as they crash-landed on Tatooine before they met Anakin. Kelleran, Beck, and Grogu blast off into hyperspace as they're pursued, ending the flashback and giving Grogu his piece of armor from the Armorer, a Beskar Mandalorian steel chestplate with a Mudhorn insignia from the first season. We get a seven samurai type of image with all of the seven Mandalorians walking from afar out of Bo-Katan's ship. They make a campfire and Bo asks Din how she eats with her helmet with the new way. He says find a place in private and remove it and then eat. As they all go to find their own places, Paz Vizsla tells her that she's the leader of the army on this mission, so she has the luxury of sitting by the fire as everyone else goes off to find a spot to remove their helmets and eat. They eventually track down the dragon, Bo-Katan loses a pauldron, risking herself to get him, and Mando seals the deal by bringing the foundling to Paz, who thanks him and it seems like their beef is over. So they return to the cave and the armor, as everyone is safe and sound, as Bo-Katan gifts the tribe three baby dragons that they took with them from the nest, after its mother was eaten by a massive fish croc from the first episode. This is a callback to Qui-Gon Jinn saying, there's always a bigger fish. The armorer praises Bo for saving the foundling and says she's basically done the best thing that she possibly could by protecting and saving the son of Paz, and she goes to make Bo a new pauldron. At Bo's request, it's a mythosaur, which is available to be on any Mandalorian's armor. Now, Bo-Katan knows that she's going to tame the beast, leading all the Mandalorians. She's still playing them, I think, perhaps doubting slightly, as she reveals to the armor that she saw one, a mythosaur, and the armor says many Mandalorians see visions of mythosaurs, and it's a good luck charm. Of course, not believing her, as she fully believes that mythosaurs are extinct. So what happens here is Bo-Katan stares at the mythosaur armor skull on the wall, and the episode ends. Now, I think the main two things from this episode are that Grogu is saved by a new Jedi, contrary to all our theories. And I want to know what you guys think about that. Do you wish it was someone of more importance, or you're cool with it being Killer and Beck? And Bo-Katan tested the armor's superstitious beliefs to confirm that no one would even believe her if it were true that the mythosaur existed, which, of course, it is. Bo will try to get the mythosaur and tame it, bringing a new age to the Mandalorians of all kinds, and controlling, uniting them all. I think she's playing the long game, as I've said before, and I think that Grogu's story is just beginning, as we'll probably get a few more episodes of his journey with Keller and Beck, all the way up to Moff Gideon's capture of Baby Yoda. Let me know what you thought of this episode. I thought it was pretty fun. It was nice to be able to see the Mandalorians work in unison, and it's cool that Mando and Paz Vizsla ended their quarrel. Hope you enjoyed my breakdown, and I'll see you all in the next video. Until then, remember, the Force will be with you. Always. Padme laying unconscious where he had left her. Running to her, he put his hand on her forehead, bringing her back to consciousness. As she opened her eyes to see her husband, they smiled at one another with tears flowing down their cheeks. Everything seemed right again. With work and effort, things could maybe return. Either way, it didn't matter to him. All that mattered was Padme was alive, and he could feel that he made the right choice. Looking at Obi-Wan, they both smiled at one another as Anakin reached out to touch his shoulder when he saw him fly 50 feet behind him into a boulder as he withered on the floor in agony, blue and purple spider-like webs of electricity sparking over his limbs. Stupid boy, I gave you one chance, and this is how you repay me. 
Anakin looked up as he saw Palpatine's electrostatic fingers buzzing, ready to strike again as four clone troopers guarded his sides. He could see his hands directed at Padme, his eyes filling with rage. Turning orange and yellow, he stood in front of her, waving his hand. The clone troopers all grabbed their throats as he crushed their windpipes. He knew the powers of the Force now proved to be worthy of his expectations. Staring at the Emperor's soulless eyes as if he looked into a black hole, emptiness surrounded them as erupting lava could